Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome in to the Wednesday episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert. It's January 27th. Uh, thank you for joining us. We are one week away uh, from the second National Signing Day. National Signing Day traditional, traditional, I guess if you could say it, whatever. Um, and uh, we'll certainly have podcasts and things to talk about then. A uh, little bit different. These days with the transfer portal and things of that nature, uh, in terms of when your players get added to your roster, um, the COVID-19 restrictions have made things even weirder. Coaches aren't on the road now. Uh, it just feels kind of strange. This is usually the time of the year when, when they'd be on the road offering and evaluating 2022 if they were, you know, pretty much set with 2021, et cetera, et cetera. So, it's uh, it's different. It's different. Quite frankly, I'm ready for them to get the shots in people's arms and let's just forget this COVID thing ever happened and get back to normal. Because uh, I think it's, I think it gets ridiculous to try to put together a, a recruiting class over Zoom, and and, uh, and we're going to see this here in a year uh, or two with a lot of these kids making decisions going to school sight unseen, uh, you're going to see the transfer portal really be active <laughs> here in the next couple of years uh, because of it. And I understand safety and all that. And certainly uh, I, I think that if you can find a way to play football and have class, you can find a way to safely have visits, um, in my opinion, even if you have to do it in a small group at a time, maybe no overnight, whatever, whatever you've got to do. Uh, you should find a way to do it. And the majority of players that are being recruited are within driving distance anyway of schools. And I know that, you know, you put a kid on a plane, maybe that's not so good, you know, during this time where they were scared of that. But just to, just to shut the whole thing down with no in-person contact, even socially distance, uh, I think it's a complete overreaction. And, and I think it has more to do with, the NCAA not liking recruiting than any kind of safety measure uh, or anything like that. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm not advocating for everybody to be out on the road going to every school uh, in the country over and, you know, over and over again. I think that would be a disaster and a lot of coaches would, would get sick and a lot of players. Would, I mean, it, it would not be in the best interest of coaches, uh, in my opinion, uh, to hit the road full time. Uh, I just think, you know, by appointment, being super safe, certain situations, you know, there's never an extreme answer for anything. In my opinion, I think extreme answers are bad. Um, and in this case, the extreme answer, just going, just saying up oh, dead period. Uh, I think that sucks for the kids and for the, the, the families of the kids and for young people that are trying to make uh, 40 year decisions by going to, to a college and playing football. So I, I think that's just uh one of those things. So it's a little different. It feels a little different uh, around the Gamecocks and, and every other program. But uh, we are a week before signing day. South Carolina did get some good recruiting news. Uh, two players from St. Francis, PA, including an All-American quarterback, Jason Brown, 
uh, and a wide receiver slash flex tight end type EJ Jenkins. Uh, they have decided to enroll at South Carolina. They're originally from Chancellor High School in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, if you got or on the bigspur.com, their coach put a nice uh, post up. Or one of their coaches put a nice post up kind of explaining their story. Uh, you know, they were sort of overlooked coming out, ended up at St. Francis. Uh, Jason was uh, the quarterback, was hurt and on crutches when player, you know, teams were trying to evaluate him. Um, and then Jenkins was 190 pounds and, you know, hadn't put on, you know, super skinny or whatever. And now he's up to what, 215 or something like that. I don't know if he's quite 6'8. Six, 6'8 eight. Uh, six, eight is really, really tall. So, um, but they're Gamecocks. And, and, you know, Jenkins gives them a big, tall target uh, in the passing game, uh, which, which I think when you watch him on film, you know, the question is how fast is he? Is he not a guy that can take a top off a of defense? I don't know, but I think he's a big matchup nightmare on the outside. Uh, and even in some flex tight end type situations, if that's how they use him. Uh, I think with Jason Brown, the quarterback, he's a guy that um, has a good arm, uh, a big arm, and and is, is a player that puts it on the money. He's got a funny release, uh, but he's going to come in and challenge Luke Doty. And, and I think competition makes you better. Uh, Doty really, you know, it was down to Doty and Colton, Colton Gauthier uh, for the starting job. And, um, so basically that means it would have been Luke Doty. Uh, and I think it's good. You bring in a guy with some experience that was an all American at another level that could compete with Doty. And, and, and I think this calls into question who's going to win the job. And I think a good old fashioned quarterback battle is great. Uh, so we'll see kind of what happens there. Um, but two big pickups, that's seven guys from the portal. Now Carolina's gotten, uh, I think every single one of them has, uh, different levels of, of uniqueness in terms of, you know, how they will impact the program. I've been through this before. Some of the guys that they, they brought in, you have to consider sort of like freshmen uh, because they have all the eligibility left. Uh, you know, you, you, you look at Daryl Williams, uh, the kid from Delaware, the linebacker, uh, and, and Jordan Strawn. Uh, those guys are at opposite ends of their eligibility. Uh, Daryl Williams has five to play five. Uh, David Spalding, five to play five, you know, and then Amari and Brown, uh, y'all have, they have different sort of uh, clocks. Brown's been at Georgia Tech for two years, but he still has three left because of the red shirt rules uh, and all that. So, so you got to kind of examine each one of these guys. You can't just say, oh, they got seven transfers and that's going to screw everything up in a couple of years because, you know, like in the case of Daryl Williams and David Spalding, now, these guys have the full allotment of years. They're just like bringing in freshmen. It's just there's no difference. Um, and quite frankly, looking at their film, I'll take a linebacker that's a punishing hitter that's really athletic and loves the game, uh, and I'll take a six-foot-two corner that runs 4-4 uh, as a freshman. You know, people people sit there and worry about, oh, he came from Georgia Southern where he didn't start. Well, if you're looking at it from that standpoint, you're not understanding the reality of it, okay? You know, he's he's got just as much eligibility left as your average freshman guy, you know? Um, so, so 
you hear the word transfer and you think, well, they need to come in and start right away. Well, that's not necessarily the case, especially this year, depending on, you know, how much eligibility you have left. And so I, I just want to make that clear. There's no difference in taking Williams and Spalding uh, versus taking, you know, uh, a, 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 you know, three, four star corner uh, and a uh, three, four star linebacker. And I don't really care what they were rated coming out of high school. You know, I've watched the film and, you know, these guys have the upside to, you know, warrant that type of rating. So, you know, but then there's other guys like Jakeem Green who uh, and Jordan Strong and, you know, the two kids from St. Francis and, and, and Amari and Brown, especially that they're expected to come in and they're like taking junior college guys expected to come in and at least be the two deep. Um, so not all transfers are, are the same. Just wanted to let everybody know that because I, I hear all the time, you know, the, the, the biggest argument from some of the naysayers is, you know, and there was, you know, Jordan Mosley, who's this kid, uh, a four-star receiver coming out of high school out of Mobile, Alabama. Gamecocks may or might not be able to take him. They may not have the room, okay? So the previous staff, Joe Cox, Mike Bobo, all those all those guys, starting with Brian McClendon, loved Jordan Mosley. They had him way up there, and they felt like they could flip him from Tennessee the entire time. Okay, it turns out Tennessee ends up dropping him. <laughs> And uh, so it looks like the Gamecocks. Well, there's a new staff now and different staff. This has nothing to do with how good or not good Jordan Mosley will be. He may end up being really good. I like him on film personally. Personally, would I have him as a four-star? No, but I never would have. Never would have. I think he's got a good upside. Um, So, you know, you you look at him, your beauty is in the eye of the beholder and, you know, Justin Stepp and the new coaching staff, I mean, they probably, you know, they, they look and they, they see that they like him, but they also have other needs. You have other needs on the roster, a defensive back, and, you know, who knows who's going to pop up at receiver in the portal that can help you instantaneously. So there may or may not be, and it's to be determined, room for Jordan Mosley. So, so you get people that go nuts about it, that, that say, well, you got the backup, corner from Georgia Southern, blah, you know, and I saw that on the message board today. Well, yeah, but the, the backup core, there's no difference in taking Spalding and taking a freshman. They they have the same amount of, of, you know, and like I said, a three or four star freshman, because with those types of measurables, you know, Spalding would probably be rated pretty high because it's all about upside. So I, you know, I, I think people, it's going to be hard for a lot of folks out there that cling to star ratings around South Carolina, because I'll admit this class is, you know, portal heavy. I think there's more transfers than anybody in the SEC. Um, and then if you count junior college transfers on top of that, I mean, you're looking at almost half the class coming in via transfer. Um, so, you know, South Carolina's kind of out in front of this thing. So, so it's going to take a couple of years for people to start, you know, realizing. It's also going to take, you know, 24-7 sports, including transfers in the team recruiting rankings. Because, you know, the Gamecocks picked up two players yesterday. and They're now 91st in recruiting. <laughs> and that's just not accurate, man. I mean, 
I'm sorry. You know, you, you look at the individual players they've gotten and, you know, this class, there's no way it's going to end up being the 91st ranked class in the country. In fact, I almost think it's better that it's ranked that ridiculously low because that's usually an outlier. It's just like today when you find a two-star player, if you find a two-star player that's got offers from major power five schools, you know, that kid's dramatically underrated um, and probably better than 75 to 85% of the three-star players ranked above him. Uh, just because usually these days, you know, you just, you get a power five, a few power five offers and you're automatically checked up to the three-star range. Uh, and that's because you guys, the fans, you know, you can live with three stars, but you know, sometimes the two stars would kind of, people would worry because they, they think three stars average three stars, never been average. Um, the idea when everybody started rating players and I got in the business in 2004 was that the majority of rosters are two and three star players. Okay. You don't have rosters full. It's unrealistic to say you got rosters full of four and five star guys, you know, cause at the end of the day, most of your guys aren't going pro. And then Alabama would have been an outlier, you know, kind of deal. And, and I think because of the success Alabama's had, you know, sustained success uh, for over 10 years, that it makes sense that they are the outlier in college football. Everybody else up and down. I know Clemson's had sustained success, uh, you know, in the ACC. Um, you know, Ohio State, Oklahoma, they're awfully good, but it, it, you know, nothing like nothing like what Alabama's done. Okay. And, you know, so, so, so that was the idea is that, you know, if you ever get an outlier like that, you know, that that's, you know, then maybe they do have, you know, more four and five star guys. But the idea was, you know, you, you, you most of your roster realistically is two and three stars. So if you got a three-star, heck, that's pretty good. And the definition when we were at Rivals was something like NFL potential, potential all-conference player, starter, you know. And um, and, th- and that's that's realistic. Well, then along the way, it just became about, you know, dramatic bull crap, you know, that, oh, it's, it's just – and so the, the, the industry – and we didn't do this on purpose, but the industry sort of morphed into, okay, well – most of the players on the, on the power five level are three stars. You know, the two stars are maybe down a level uh, and they started rating them sort of like that. So it's the definition's different uh, these days. The problem that that's created is there is such a wide swath of three-star players that you're, you're, you've got this ocean uh, of players out there. It's like, you know, the, the five-star folks, they're in a pond. All right. The, uh, the, the four-star folks are in a small lake or a stream. Let's go with the small lake. Uh, three stars are in an ocean. Um, so you go fishing, you kind of know what you're going to get uh, in, the, in the small pond. And, you know, the, the small lake, you know, is a little bit different. But you go fishing in the ocean, who the hell knows what you're going to get? <laughs> and it takes a more skilled fisherman at times. Uh, to go uh, fish in the ocean and to know where to go and all that good stuff. But that mean you can't be a great fisherman if you're fishing in the ocean. It just means you got to work a little harder and be a little better. 
So that's uh, that's kind of the analogy I would use on that. All right, so we had a coaching hire in the SEC break this morning. Tennessee's hired Josh Heupel. Never been a Josh Heupel guy. You you probably you guys have never heard me hype him. You've all probably heard me say that I felt like his offenses at Missouri were really really good against terrible defensive teams and or team defensive teams that struggled, I guess. And then when they played really good teams or, or teams that played a decent defense, they they'd sort of struggle to score. And so, um, uh, you know, I've, I've ne- never been a fan, I, I think. You know, he, he kind of got ran off at Oklahoma. Uh, I've never thought the offense was all that good. I, I think it used, I was surprised UCF hired him. I didn't, you know, I, I thought UCF had some good teams and good moments. And, and it wasn't like he was bad. I mean, he's 28 and 8 down there. But that's a really good football program. And the guy before him won a lot at UCF, and I think the guy after him is going to win a whole lot at UCF. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I don't know. So is he ready to go in and, and take over Tennessee? Uh, I, I'll now flip this around, too, because I don't want to go big negative on the hire because I, I, I think that, you know, like I said, it's my job sometimes for Carolina and other schools to tell you guys why this is happening. Um, does have a 28-8 and eight record, uh, you know, you think about it, the last time an athletic director that was quote-unquote familiar with the head coach and you hired a head coach at another place after he'd, hire, after he'd worked with him or been his boss at the previous place was when um, the guy at Florida hired Dan Mullen. And Dan Mullen's record at Florida the last three years is 29-9. and nine. So, uh, and, you know, after Scott Frost and Chip Kelly turned it down, you know, they hired Dan Mullen, the safe – Hire the guy that won at the other school that the, the athletic director was familiar with, and away they went. So you know you can't, I can't sit there and throw dirt on it. Um, Dan Mullen obviously inherited a different situation at Florida than what Josh Heupel's inheriting at Tennessee, but you know it's something about it. I, and I don't know, you know, the, this, when you look at Danny White, Tennessee's athletic director, and, and the history of the people he's hired. The only one you have really questions about that, that wasn't a grand slam, slam dunk or whatever for wherever he was, was, was Hypo, you know, Frost worked out all the basketball coaches he's hired have worked out. I mean, so, you know, if you're Tennessee, I think you got to trust your, your AD. I mean, you know, there's a reason that, that everybody was fired up that Danny White took the job as the AD at Tennessee and, I think you just got to trust him. But I also think this is going to show you that uh, if it doesn't work out, that not all ADs uh, are that important in terms of making good football hires that, you know, you, you only, it's basically still a crapshoot at the end of the day. So, so there we go. I mean, so that, that's the deal there uh, with Tennessee uh, basketball coming up tonight. Uh Jalen McCreary will be back. That will help on the interior. Uh, 7 o'clock, I believe, Eastern, ESPN 2, the Georgia Bulldogs and the South Carolina Gamecocks. Gamecocks are 3-5. and five. Georgia's pretty good this year. So I don't know. You know I just, uh, they need a win. They need a win. Um in a bad way, uh, if they could play good ball, you know, maybe they, uh, 
maybe they pull one out. I don't know. Georgia's probably a little better than people think this year at nine and five, but it's a, it's a tough, tough deal <laughs> uh, in basketball right now. And uh, so we'll see kind of what happens. Uh, but that's the hoop story. Blah, 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 blah. I love talking hoops, but that's for right now. You know, we'll talk about the game tomorrow after it happened. Oh, blah, 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 blah. All right. We've got a mailbags, uh, a lot of mailbag questions today. First of all, how to get to the mailbag, you can tweet that at the Big Spur Pod. And we've got a lot of folks that did that. And then you can also email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Okay, so David is the first person. He comes in via Twitter. He's like, question for the mailbag. How would you set up the structure for a player to be played, paid for his likeness? Would you let the NCAA handle it? University's compliance department? Would there be a limit to each player? Would it be given to a pool that was distributed evenly? I don't think that um, – I don't think that's America, the the, 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 the pool distribution, you know, and – I know that they do that in terms of like they split bowl revenue equally and they split, uh, you know, TV revenue equally among the conferences. But I think that they're, that's considered one product overall. Um, If you're paying an individual for, for his likeness and his image, obviously, you know, their image uh, is going to be worth more. And I'm going to say this. I'm sorry for those folks out there, the, the you know the title line folks that uh, are going to have a problem with this. But you know, you're the ones that caused it by uh, continuously beating on the drum that, that we should have this. But women's at women athletes are not going to make the same as men because women's sports are not as popular as men's. And when you're talking about you know uh, that business, like your likeness, what is your value of your likeness? your popularity matters because you're paying for somebody to, to basically promote your product. Uh, You're seeing how many jerseys you can sell. I mean, you know, as good as Asia Wilson was and as much as she deserved the statue, who you think would sell more jerseys, Sundarius Thornwell or Asia Wilson the same year, definitely be Thornwell. You know, there's more people that follow the sport. Uh, and so it's going to be really interesting to see how they set it up. The only fair way I know is just let people make what they're worth. Um, if you could legally put a cap on it, I think that would solve some of the issues with certain schools artificially manufacturing value. But I don't think, I mean, I, I think that also, again, it goes against the spirit of, of letting these guys do that. You know, it, it's about, capitalism and being able to make what you know get what you're worth and so any sort of like artificial uh, limit or uh you know i guess sharing of the the, the i mean that, that goes against kind of the idea so i guess what i'd do would be um i would I would just say, okay, I would put out fair, I would determine, see, this is going to talk, this is going to take work and resources for the NCAA to do because they're the only ones that can really handle it because you need a governing body. So you're going to have to hire people to do this and crunch the numbers. What you determine is, you know, what, what the NCAA has to do is determine market value. Okay. School X located in X media market 
uh, player Y is a starter, should be worth blah, 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 blah in the market on average. And then you can't go too much higher or lower. You got to stay within the range of the average. Uh, and, and then just go from there. Um, you know, I, I think that you can also make sure it's a legitimate business deal to where you don't have uh, a five-star athlete that signs with a school that, you know, say sign one of the Texas schools and somebody that's, you know, ridiculously rich with oil money says, well, I'm going to buy 2 million jerseys myself <laughs> and I'm going to put them in a warehouse. And if you get a dollar for every jersey you sell, you know, because you got to pay for the manufacturer and stuff like that, and you're a player, you get $2 million. Uh, so, you know, I think that's it too. And I also think this. Uh, I think that the, the NCAA and then the universities need to also calculate, you know, okay, so so I mentioned the Sundarius Thornwell jersey. Well, how much of that, is because it's a Sundarius Thornwell only jersey, but how much of that is because it's Sundarius Thornwell, South Carolina? And because there is value, uh, no matter how people want to spin it and say, you know, there's no value, there's more value in the, the school's brand than the individual player in college athletics. Uh, if they just wanted to outlaw name, image, likeness, and say, if you don't like it, just go to the pros. Uh, and the NFL, who I think is to blame for a lot of this in football, because they just kind of use the NCAA as their minor league and go from there. Um, the NFL wants to start a minor league. Good. You know how popular that would be? It wouldn't be. You know, they could play in the spring and I think get more eyeballs. But, you know, you would probably watch your team, your SEC team on Saturdays uh, with just as much passion, uh, with just as many people in the stands or whatever. You know, minus the, you know, two to 500 football players uh, that ended up opting to go the other direction. And sure, you'd miss out on some great players in the sport, but, you know, college basketball's missed out on great players that have gone to the, the league. And it's still a thriving enterprise because college sports fans ultimately do not care about individual players, uh, they care about their teams. You know, it's in terms of, of, of what they're willing to go support. Um, so if the NCAA wanted to just say, no, we're not doing it, you know, because these we're a private organization, these are our rules, then I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that you could, uh, you could set that up uh, and, and, and college athletics would still be fine. Now, they're not, not going to do it, but, um, you know, so, so what I would do is you have to have – the ability to establish fair market value and stay within that range uh, and then make sure it's a legitimate business enterprise. In other words, you know, you got to keep the guy from buying 2 million jerseys for, to get a recruit uh, and go from there. So, uh, talk a lot about that. Mike Morgan, JC and Morgan podcast. We have uh, plenty of thoughts about all of that. Joe Sports Caller says, uh, we haven't had competitive teams in football or basketball since 2017. Why doesn't Tanner deserve the blame? Building facilities is great, but where's the competitive product? Well, the, the athletic director is not in charge of winning and losing. He's in charge of uh, firing coaches to make sure 
you know, and hiring good coaches to make sure they can win and lose. Uh, and I think Ray gets overly blamed for this because he was a coach, you know, and, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, now has he made some mistakes? Absolutely. Um, but I, I would take exception to saying that they haven't had a competitive team uh, in either sport since 2017. Um, you know, I, I think the Gamecock basketball teams have been pretty competitive. Uh, you know, they've had winning conference records. Uh, they've borderline NIT a couple of years, would have gone the NIT last year. Now, have they been great? No, but they're competitive. I mean, you, you look at the teams they've beaten and stayed on the court with. I mean, you want to see not competitive, go back to the Darren Horn era and the end of the end of Odom and Horn with the exception of one year and then first two years of Frank Martin, those teams were not competitive. You know, this team – has been competitive. You want to see him go to the NCAA tournament. I think people are sick of not going. I think they're kind of people are sick of the surprising losses, you know, uh, or surprising performances. Uh, but but I don't think I don't think you can say basketball hadn't been competitive since the Final Four. They've been competitive. They just haven't, you know, gotten to the NCAA tournament. Uh, and so Tanner doesn't doesn't deserve the blame for that. I, I think. If you want to to start throwing blame for basketball from an administrative standpoint, you know, somebody on the board of trustees, somebody somewhere that has some clout uh, donation-wise in the boosters, the same people that, you know, demanded change with football and the coaching situation, they need to get behind a – a, a program to upgrade the basketball and make basketball facilities as nice as footballs. If there's a need for those programs, and I'm talking men's and women's both, because um, they probably deserve it and, and all that. Uh, as far as football goes, the 2018 season was very competitive. Uh, South Carolina ended up getting injured at the end and running out of players, but seven and six is sort of the baseline for this program, uh, it's certainly not a non-competitive year. Now, you want to talk about not competitive? Uh, look at that stretch this past season in 2020. Uh, look at the end of 2019. I mean, the bottom fell out, okay? Uh, so, you know, you're looking at two bad years in football, no bad years in basketball. You know, Tanner made a hire to fix football. Hopefully it works out. Um I don't know what's going to happen in basketball moving forward, but, you know, and then baseball, you know, you got to talk about baseball too, because, you know, Kingston did have a historically bad season uh, in his second year at Carolina. And, and, you know, I think he's got to turn it around. Um, So, so, you know, at at the end of the day, I think what you have to do is you got to see what happens with baseball this year. You got to see if basketball can turn it because there's still a lot of games left. I have my doubts that will happen. Uh, you know, you got to see how Beamer starts off before you can just say, you know, Tanner needs to be responsible for these coaches all losing. Uh, Tanner made a hire that did not work out. That is not, you know, uh, that is actually normal for an athletic director these days. Uh, you know, nobody was talking about firing Eric Hyman because Darren Horn sucked terribly. Uh, although, you know, you had some questions about Eric Hyman and his ability to hire. And I remember hearing a lot of people say they were glad, you know, Spurrier stayed on throughout 
Hyman's entire tenure <laughs> because that was, uh, you know, that was one of those things, uh, you know, where they were a little worried <laughs> about him making the hire. So I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the deal with Tanner. And I, my guess is to, you know, that Tanner's probably, probably going to be here longer than some of you that think it's a magic bullet to get rid of him will be. Because, you know, if you fired Ray Tanner tomorrow, that's not going to change anything. A new AD is not going to come in and fire Shane Beamer and Frank Martin and Mark Kingston and blow it up and start over. I, I mean, num- they're just not going to do it. <laughs> so I think that's a big disconnect. People think, oh, you get a new AD is the answer to all of our problems. And, and, you know, you look at Tennessee and all these people that, you know, hated on Fulmer being the the athletic director because there, there are certain people in the national media that, that they want the suits to run – they want the politicians to run college sports because they have a political agenda, you know, and, and they don't want coaches running college sports because they talk all the time. If you read between the lines, they think coaches are, are evil <laughs> inherently for some reason. Um. You know, you, you kind of look at, oh, it's unfair, 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 unfair. Uh, and you, you see him take shots at guys like Ray Tanner uh, and Philip Fulmer and all that. Now, Fulmer is a different animal than, um, than, than Ray Tanner, obviously. Tanner's been the AD at Carolina for, gosh, this will be his ninth, it'll be nine years this summer. So he almost had a decade of this. Former just sort of staged a palace coup and came in there, but you know you, you could you could tell that you know oh, they were happy that that Fulmer got out, and, and there, it wasn't because Fulmer did a crappy job or you know hired a guy that, that 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 cheated badly and got caught or whatever. It was just because he was a coach and unqualified. Up, uh, and you heard that about you know Pete Thamel said, oh, South Carolina's athletic parts lack the sophistication. What the hell does that even mean? sophistication did, did this race suit not fit right i mean what, what what are you talking about sophisticated look at the facilities you know look at look at the first class manner in which south carolina runs its athletic department you know i mean it, sophistication does not equal wins and losses a lot you know i mean if you you want to say that you know certain other athletic departments are you know, more sophisticated, that's fine. Well, show me where they're winning and doing all that. You know, people can say Alabama. Well, you know the guy at Alabama that got everything started was Mal Moore, who was an old football coach. He hired Nick Saban. So um, so, so that's what I'm saying. And, look, Tanner, to me, my guess is he's going to be there longer than some won't, but then he's going to leave or, or step down or retire or whatever. Uh, and then a lot of you are going to wish he was back. That's the, that's the, that's the issue. And then he's got some responses, uh, from Gamecock fan football. I agree. Basketball is an enigma, uh, and blah, blah, blah. Frank's inability to find a true point guard. I don't know about that. Um, Dozier leaving and Felder hurt. Norm more needs to be done to promote men's basketball. This is Michael. Uh, as far as facilities in football, I think only having one recruiting class to really promote it's tough. That's true. Zoom can only do so much. Football, old staff, current staff, they've literally had like a month where guys could visit, you know, and that was the last staff. Uh, so 
those of you that are like, this facility didn't mean anything, but I'm not showing any results. You're, you're, you're not grasping the reality of the situation. Um, obviously losses piling up resulting in drop job through is a big factor as well. So we'll see. So we'll see. And, and, and thank you for the question, Michael. I, I think it's always polarizing to talk about Ray Tanner. I think people have very unrealistic views on both ends of that argument. I think that, you know, uh, it's just, it's just one of those things, you know, I, I believe every AD Carolina's had uh, since McGee has served its purpose, you know, McGee did certain things. Uh, and then Hyman did certain things and now Tanner's doing certain things and none of them are perfect, but none of them are, are nearly as, I mean, you know, you could, there's more things that the other two did that to me are egregious than what Tanner's done. You know, Tanner's paid his coaches. He's taking care of his coaches. He's taking care of the sports like football. Um, he's raised money. He's built facilities. Uh, you know, has he hired? Well, time will tell. You know, Eric Hyman didn't make very many hires either because he had Tanner sitting there as the, you know, the baseball coach. Uh, Tanner uh, or Hyman, if Ray Tanner had just quit coaching and not been the AD, Hyman would have hired Holbrook. Uh, Hyman hired Darren Horn, but then he hired Frank Martin and he also hired Don Staley. Uh, so you just don't know. You know, McGee obviously made two big time name hires. In uh, Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, but also hired Brad Scott. I hired Eddie Fogler, but also hired Dave Odom. So, uh, but also hired Ray Tanner. So you can see where McGee did a great job of getting it on. It's almost like Holtz Spurrier, you know, going from that. Um, Holtz kind of got it on the map. Spurrier kind of got got it rolling. I think that's kind of the McGee Hyman uh, dynamic there. And, and, and unlike Muschamp, where it kind of went backward. You know, if you understand what an athletic director actually does, and and obviously a lot of people don't care because they just want to win. You know, Tanner's kind of he's kept it going and, and built on some things. But uh, anyway, we could, we could have a whole show about Ray Tanner. It's very polarizing. I don't understand how one of the you know most outstanding, most accomplished, the most accomplished coach in program history, um, and that includes Don Staley, folks. Uh, you know, take such a wrath, um, you know, based on other sports losing. So I don't know. And I'll, I'll close the Ray Tanner discussion by saying this. Yeah, if you want him gone, fine. I understand he's not perfect and all that. I'm just saying if you're going to move on, you better hire an excellent AD, uh, a really good one. Uh, otherwise, it can become clown college really, really quick. <laughs> you know, you, you think now is bad and all that, you know, and uh, the people that, that can, the funny people are the people that complain about the buyout for, for Muschamp that also uh, they don't give any money <laughs> to the school. It's like, it's not your money, you know. Um, but, you know, just be careful what you wish for on that. I'm just going to heed the warning from beyond. Um, you know, here in a couple of years. So we'll see, see what happens there uh, moving forward. We have more questions inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Mitchell says, Hey, JC, hope all is well. 
two questions for the podcast with Tennessee becoming more like the volunteers because of NCAA sanctions and transfers. How do you expect Shane Beamer to take advantage of Tennessee's issues and how will it impact Carolina in recruiting? Well, it, it never got to the point. See, see, here's the thing with Tennessee. It never really got to the point with Pruitt and it could have, cause they were trying where they were coming into South Carolina and signing players. The Gamecocks desperately wanted. You know, they got Tion Evans, but that was a JUCO guy. They got some other players Carolina didn't offer, like Jalen Hyatt. They got a kid that, you know, Carolina couldn't offer, which was Bryce Thompson. But they really never went head-to-head with the Gamecocks and landed anybody like they used to back in the day when they got Sean, the Sean Ellis's of the world right on up through Robert Ayers and those guys, okay? So they Carolina dodged a bullet there (laughs) with all this stuff happening Uh, because it gets really 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 problematic once you start talking about Tennessee coming in North Carolina coming in those schools coming into the state and and getting guys you're going to lose one to Georgia every now and then Uh, you're going to lose one to a Florida every now and then you're going to lose head-to-head with Clemson every now and then but you got to keep you got to win almost 100% of those other battles um, where it does help the Gamecocks, I think, is that it, you know, in the state of Georgia, uh, particularly in Cobb County around Atlanta, the Atlanta area in general, even some in South Georgia, there were some players that uh, the Gamecocks ended up, uh, you know, losing out on that went to Tennessee because Tennessee did a good job establishing inroads over there. Uh, I think in the state of North Carolina, Tennessee is a very popular school. Uh, and obviously, UNC right now is rolling within the state. Uh, Clemson's in on some guys up there, too. Uh, I think if you're the Gamecocks, you, you know, it, it takes one shark kind of out of the water, makes that shark a little smaller. Um, and so I, I, I think, too, when you're talking about the SEC East, you know, let's just say Tennessee had gone seven and three this year, right? And they're seven and three. Everybody's hunky-dory. You hear nothing about Pruitt. Uh, they're sitting on two straight wins over Carolina. Carolina's two and eight. I think I think things start to get tricky. <laughs> when you're talking about, you know, the pecking order in the East, people are now saying Tennessee, Florida, Georgia are back to their, their spot they were in the 90s. Everybody's good. Uh, but what this does is this, this takes Tennessee back down. Now, so Tennessee right now, Tennessee, South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, they're all kind of in that same area with Vanderbilt kind of behind them. And and so, you know, if you're the Gamecocks, that's better than than having, you know, so you basically got a Florida team that next year loses a lot of good players. Uh, You know, they're going to not probably not be as good. Uh, and then Georgia, who is loaded uh, in the division. So your 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 ability to move upward now just got easier because it takes one team kind of out of the way or at least brings it to your level. So, you know, that's uh, that's kind of a good deal there if you're the Gamecocks. And, and look, I, I'll say this, you know, Bobby Bentley is the one that did a good job of recruiting Tennessee for South Carolina. He's no longer on staff, but – you know, Tennessee, Virginia, Alabama, Maryland, D.C., all those states, you can pluck one or two out of those states that are good. That's good. And, uh, you know, I, I think with the Vols, 
continuing to struggle, you know, their, their state is, is producing more talent than it normally does. Tennessee is on the upswing. This is what's so weird uh, about their demise is, is that right now should be the golden years because they have an in-state talent base that's better than it's ever been. But those kids all from like Nashville West, they're heading out of state. So it's kind of tough. Even the East Tennessee guys, look at Clemson, T. Higgins, and Amari Rogers. And I think Clemson's got one more from, from up in the Knoxville area. And Mitchell has a second question. He said it's not directly tied to South Carolina. I think it relates to the Gamecocks in a funny way. As you know, Tampa Bay and Kansas City will play each other with the Buccaneers becoming the first team to play the Super Bowl in their home stadium. With this, we also know that the Birmingham Bowl was canceled this year because of COVID issues. Uh, even though these teams are having success, there was a time a decade ago that these teams were the laughingstock of sports. Since the Birmingham Bowl usually has the worst bowl teams, uh, it would be nice to move the Super Bowl to Birmingham <laughs> and call it the Super Birmingham Bowl since Tampa Bay and Kansas City did struggle a decade ago when they were the worst teams in all sports. <laughs> also, congrats to Chris LeMond's Rashad Fenton, Ryan Suckup, and Kobe Smith for making the big game as well. Thanks for all you do, Mitchell. The Super Birmingham Bowl. I mean, I don't know if the new stadium in Birmingham is ready. Maybe just play it at Legion Field for old times' sake. <laughs> but that was, uh, yeah, that's something else about that home field down there. Uh, you know, because that's you. You finally have a team that makes it for the first time when, when they in the year where they have their home field, and it's you know you're, you're not going to have but what twenty two thousand in the stands, so. It'll be good. Mitchell has another podcast question, uh, and it's about Jason Brown from St. Francis. And he says, uh, thought Shane Beamer had hired the real Jason Brown from Last Chance U, to be honest, coaching staff? No. I don't know that Shane – I don't know that it would be something Shane would do. About the quarterback recruit Brown, how do you feel about him in the quarterback depth chart? Is there a chance he'll be the starter? I think there's a chance he could be the starter. I'm not saying he's going to win the job, but I think there's a chance. Uh, I think he's got a skill set that you, some of you folks are going to like. So I think there's definitely a chance there that he's the starting quarterback. Noah says uh, another question about the St. Francis guys. Glad that the, final, the, the two transfers are official. Is the receiver really 6'8"? I don't know. I, you know, somebody can measure him. That's fine. But, I, you know, 6'8 guy, I mean, he, he, to me he looks about 6'6 six, six and a half, but maybe he's 6'8 with a helmet on. Who knows? Uh, do you think he has wide receiver one potential? I don't – I think I think Amarion Brown's going to be the wide receiver one this year. Uh, I think this guy will be on the outside. But, but Brown will probably get – a ton of targets and you know I, I look at the tight end h-back position nick muse it's eric kemry's position nick muse uh jaheem bell kevion mullins i mean these guys you know have a lot of potential to help the passing game and improve it uh, and then we'll find out who the quarterback is so uh but hey wide receiver one but if he ends up being wide receiver one He's probably going to be at Carolina for one year. <laughs> a guy that big that's that good and that productive, going to be a one-year deal there. Dr. Robert, thank you, my friend, for emailing in. As always, I can't thank you enough for all you do to provide great Gamecock content on the Big Spur and the podcast. 
would you predict to fill the last three spots for this class if you were forced to make a prediction? I'm going to go with Jawan Gaston and the Craig kid, the two DBs from Bama, and then leave a spot. I think they'll leave a spot open uh, to see what may pop up in the portal or or, or maybe a late qualifier or, or something like that down the road. Uh, in terms of their spots right now, you know, I, I think stay flexible is a good deal. Uh, I also think that you're going to see some of these JUCOs like Jamorian Robinson and Joko Willis perhaps enroll in August and be what's called blue shirts because you can't visit anyway. So, you know, the blue shirt rules kind of uh, talk about official visits and those guys would count towards 2022. Um, and, and they just, they won't sign next week. In other words, they'll sign later. Uh, and, and just to kind of see it like that. Uh, that's my prediction uh, is that it'll be Craig Gaston and, you know, one of the Jucos. And I, I need to change my crystal ball back for Jawan Gaston just to see, although Auburn lurks, Auburn lurks. So maybe I'll, I may not change that back till the night before signing day. Cause I'm still not convinced, but if I had to predict it right now, based on information from my contacts and also, uh, great information from Hale McGranahan, who, by the way, uh, just on a professional note, has has been killing it uh, as far as recruiting coverage for the past month or two. Uh, he's gone above and beyond. It's one thing to cover it. It's another thing to go above and beyond like he's been doing. Uh, and so go follow him on Twitter. Like his stuff on the Big Spur. I'll probably have him on the podcast here pretty soon. Uh, but thanks, as always, Dr. Rob. I appreciate it. So lots to talk about these two St. Francis kids today. Uh, if you'd have asked me last week, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, asked me four months ago, if we'd had an episode where we were talking about Josh Heupel taking the Tennessee job, Ray Tanner, and uh, the two players from St. Francis, PA, coming to the Gamecocks, I'd have probably said, uh, well, yeah, definitely on the Ray Tanner thing. It must be a slow day, but uh, I don't know about the other two. Uh, so we'll see sort of. Uh, what happens and where these topics all go. Once again, please subscribe on Apple Pods, rate us five stars, write a review. Hopefully it's a good review. Uh, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com for the email. Uh, uh, excuse me, the email um, mailbag. Uh, tweet to at the Big Spur Pod for the Twitter mailbag. Follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter and also at Inside the Gamecocks. That is the um, that is the Instagram account for the podcast, and we're going to continue to make sure that that thing gets updated more frequently, uh, as it's been kind of hit or miss so far. But uh, certainly appreciate all you guys following us there. This is JC Sherbert. Uh, this podcast you may not get to the end to it by the time it starts, but at twelve thirty today, as is the case every Wednesday, I am on with JB and Goldwater, and so. Check us out there. Uh, it'll be a, an hour of fun. We'll have lots to talk about uh, right there going through the coaching staff hires and all that. Until then, we'll talk to you soon.